Hello, 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 New Haven, and welcome back to Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. I'm your host, Lucy Gelman, and I'm really excited to be here today with multidisciplinary artist Ruby Gonzalez-Hernandez. Ruby, welcome. Thank you for having me. So Ruby, um, Ruby, for those who don't know, and if you don't know, you should know. So <laughs> listeners, like, I, I don't know, get in the know, whatever. Um, so you are new New Haven through and through. One raised. Yes. And we're going to talk about Fairside, which is a very cool initiative that you are spearheading um, in the Fairhaven community. But also, I would say it has ripples across the city. But also, we're going to talk about how you came to art and how your career has evolved, especially in New Haven. And, um, you know, I think with the help of other grassroots initiatives or things that grew out of grassroots initiatives like Make Haven. So first, you know, to introduce folks to you who, who maybe know you very well, maybe they don't know you at all. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to art? Yeah, um, I started drawing cartoons in like the sixth grade and just never stopped. I went to John Martinez, also in Fairhaven. Um, and one day my guidance counselor was like, oh, you like art, you should apply to ECA. Like, you should just give it a try. Like, and I was like, okay, why not? And, you know, I got a portfolio together with um, my art teacher at the time. Her name was Miss B and went in for an interview, very serious. And I was like, listen, I'm dedicated. I want to do this. And the rest is, I mean, that's kind of how everything started. Um, ECA really prepared me for the world. Um, and I, I, I know that, like, I don't want to, like, not mention this. It's a shame that, you know, budget cuts are really looming for them right now. Um, but they've really genuinely, like, changed the course of my life. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to talk about that. I think that there is this misperception before we even get to ECA, which I think for many artists is a, a very formative part of their life. Like, artists who have gone on to, you know, to be in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and who are sometimes halfway across the world doing cool stuff. Um, you know, in Fairhaven, I think there's like a, a misperception that there aren't artists and uh, among like community builders and organizers. And, and of course, that's not true. Um, it's just a neighborhood that has not received the same amount of municipal resources from the city of New Haven or from a lot of grant making, you know, historically white legacy institutions. And did you like did you feel aware of that as a kid or is that something that you came to later? So I felt the large I knew that there was some sort of disconnection. Um, and when I look back now, like, you know, there are amazing people in Fairhaven doing art related things like such as Arte like I wish I went to Arte as a kid like I just my family just wasn't able to connect the dots to get there you know um there is so much going on in Fairhaven I think you know like you have Erector Square there you have Bregamos Theater like you have Junta and you know their youth arts programs but I think the bigger issue for me was like my my family, you know, is primarily like only speak Spanish um, and at that time was very centered and focused on simply surviving that this wasn't really like a main concern. Like, yes, our kid loves art, but like, I don't have time to be going to these after school programs right now. I don't have time to even find them because I need to make ends meet, you know, so I think it's a combination of like, there is this clear disconnection that folks aren't aren't um, seeing or wanting to bridge those gaps. And this isn't putting blame on anybody. I also think that like, you know, there's, we need to meet people where they are as well. Yeah, and I think in this, I mean, I see this a lot in the schools, if it's not like co-op or ECA, there is not the fundamental understanding that art is a like a human right. And also that it's very good for social and emotional development. And that's just, that's not me saying it. You can find the data out for there. For your spirit, right? Yes. Also for your spirit. Yes. <laughs> but but I think that's true. And and shout out to Junta um, and especially Shayla Serrano, who I know is like, she's doing it over there. And, and to Juan Carlos Soto, who has moved on and is now oh at the New Haven Pride Center. But baby Ruby was one of Juan Carlos's students. And I feel like yeah. that is that is part of your story as an artist. Mm -hmm. 
you stopped me in my tracks. Oh my gosh. I Juan Carlos is, I don't know. I think back and like, just, just one of those experiences, like being able to be in community with other Latins, with other young people at that age, I think I was like 13, 14, 12, even. Um, it, and being exposed to what I what what I would later delve into in like the world of social justice was like foundational. Like I I haven't thought about it in a long time. And like me and Juan Carlos always see each other like in from a distance and we're always supporting each other and like we're we're busy and we have to get lunch sometime and stuff. And we always say that, but like it really I never really I need to think about this deeper. It it really was transformational for me at that at that moment. Now that I'm thinking back, like I, I am really I'm really grateful for him. Yeah. I'm I mean I also feel like he was starting a conversation that maybe was happening elsewhere. But one of the things that I know you and I have talked about before is art can be a really accessible entry point for people who may think that their opinions are pretty fixed about something. And Juan Carlos for years and including in his work at Junta, um did two amazing, I think two amazing exhibitions. One was Faces of DAPA and one was Faces of DACA. And um, I think to humanize those programs to such a degree was very different than someone like listening to Fox News and making up their mind, God forbid, that people do that. And, yeah. and so, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I need to reconnect with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, shout out to Juan Carlos if you're if you're out there listening. He's probably not listening because he's running a whole day nonprofit. But um, but but he is just an incredible person and someone who is still doing his art and committed to making his artwork. I think part of like the whole person that he brings to leaving the New Haven Pride Center, which which is fantastic. So I I do want to talk about ECA and just you know for listeners who maybe have not been paying attention to what's happening at ECA, which is the Educational Center for the Arts, um, which lives under the umbrella of Area Cooperative Educational Services, which lives outside of the New Haven Public School District. I feel like this is a whole a whole episode on its own, but, um, but ECA, or ACES, I should say ACES, the agency that runs ECA last month, proposed a series of budget cuts um, and the installation of an assistant principal that would amount in five department heads in visual arts, drama, dance, music, and creative writing being um, eliminated is maybe not the right word, certainly demoted from 0.8 full-time equivalent, which is basically, it's, it's close to full-time and it gives you health insurance, which is really important. We know that we're living in a country where insurance is not a given. and to have them go down to 0.5 FTE, which is part-time. And also like they are doing, I, I will say from what I've gathered in my work, and you can speak to this directly, Ruby, having been there, um, they're doing much more than teachers who are paid for 0.8 time. Like that, that is sort of arbitrary. Yeah, without question. Hani Bresnik, Johanna Bresnik um, was, or is the department chair at the visual arts department and, um, also the sculpture teacher, also the person that prepares juniors and seniors to prepare for college and apply and photograph and like being able to orchestrate this entire, I don't know, like circus of things that like is not only like like needed, but like like necessary to be able to enter the arts world. My When I was uh, getting ready to apply to art school, my high school at the time, I love them dearly but they were not accustomed to a student wanting to go to art school. They didn't know what the process was. You were and at Cross, I, right? I went to New Haven Academy. Oh, you went to, right. So this was before the 2018 magnet decision. Yep. For folks who follow the State Board of Ed, be, why would you? It's sort of like watching paint dry, but but there is now a decision in place that you can't have a magnet plus a magnet. But you, I'm so happy that you went to school before that because- <laughs> I th like that's an incredible combination of schools. I had the most wonderful experience and I was very resistant to going to both schools because I was like number two on the waiting list for co-op and I had very ex set 
tunnel vision of like what success what what I need to be doing where I need to be going but like I I am really really glad I got accepted into Naval Academy first and accepted into ECA like I I'm really grateful for the education I received and I am really upset to this day that folks can't go to a different magnet school other than Hill House and Cross like it's it's a disservice to our students to be honest in the name of money is it yeah, it, it was so the State Department of Education made the decision uh, based on cost saving measures in 2018. And I'm, I'm also wondering for you, like, you know, what what was it like at ECA where people say, yes, you can be an artist? Because I, th I think there's a lot of I don't want to say stigma, just like uncertainty, right? Like, you, you know, artists have to be cobblers. And that means that even if you are a full time artist and it is your full time job, you might have anything between like one to six side hustles to make to make ends meet, to make sure that you're paying rent, to make sure there's food on your table or in your fridge. Um, I don't know, to get that heat going in the winter, right? And I think ECA is this place where students are told, no, I believe that you can do this and it's going to be hard. I think, well, I have one to 600 side hustles. I think everybody knows that about me and I'm trying not to do that anymore. Um, but um, I lost my train of thought. I was going to say that um, I think I think becoming an artist seems really daunting to parents for their kids because it's so non-traditional and there's a million like different ways you can do it. And like you as an art, you as the artist need to figure out what exactly that is, whether like in education or completely not in education and you want to do things through, you know, grants and uh, state uh, programs and things like that, or like do something else entirely. Um, like, I mean, what I want to do with Fairside, you know, like, it may become something where I can be paid like as a job or it's very likely that it couldn't either. Like, I think because there's such this, because there's such an uncertainty in like what it is you, you want to do or can do, or like are thinking like about what is possible, like that makes people like very nervous about it. Um, but I think ECA was great in the sense that like, they were pretty real with me um, on our first day. And I think it was our like our, our college prep class. Like the first day, Hani was like, being an artist is not a walk in the park. Like you, you want to do this, you're going to have to put in work and you're going to have to put in more work than like what you think like a regular job, a regular job would be. Um, yeah, she was always very real with us, like no I don't know. She didn't, she didn't sugarcoat it, you know. And then you made the decision after high school to work as an artist, which you are still doing. Yeah, that was not a walk in the park. My gosh. Um, my mom wasn't excited. She wasn't excited. She wasn't looking forward to this journey that I was about to embark on. Um, she, you know, for many years after kept asking me like are you really sure like I can get you a job at the Omni Hotel like please like um rethink this but um I think so I was going to RIT for the first semester during the 2016 election really far away from home really thinking that what I what I felt at that time is like I'm not happy with New Haven I don't feel like I can find the opportunities that um I need um and I think now that it was more so because I couldn't find them. Um, and I just wasn't feeling connected enough or literally wasn't connected enough to, to find those like places and spaces that I wanted to be a part of. Um, and I left after my first semester and came back um, and started rethinking everything and kind of understanding, you know, one, the diversity that New Haven had compared to Rochester, New York, um, or the university, um, I'll say. Um, and I started dipping my toes in and I started, you know, interning and, you know, meeting up with people from high school and seeing what they were doing around town and seeing how I could fit in and honestly just step in and see, see what is possible. Um, and slowly bit by bit, I started meeting people around town, going to exhibitions, seeing what my friends were doing. Um, and 
that was the beginning of it. It's it was really, really difficult and really, really harsh. And I don't actually I don't I don't wish that on anybody. Um, I think back to the to the lack of accessibility, um, the severity actually that what of what it was like for me as uh, an 18 year old, as a 19 year old, wanting to like participate in open calls and wanting to apply for these like residencies and and things like that, but not really understanding like why I needed a CV, what a CV was, why I needed an artist statement, what that was, um, how I could like prepare something to hang up on my wall. Like I was really out of my element here. And by stepping into just these art institutional spaces, like little by little, that's how I ended up um, growing those skills. Um, and so, I mean, I guess this kind of connects to Fairside because I don't want anyone to experience what I did. And I know that this is a, a I, I know my friends have similar experiences to me. This is not easy. It's hard to learn independently and, you know, either not in, in an institution like a university or working at a gallery, like you're on your own here. Like it's you and YouTube university um, and anything else you can get your hands on. Um, so when I started, when I started Fairside, I thought about, you know, how difficult those earlier moments were for me. And I knew that it didn't need to be that way. Like I'm, I'm hosting this show at the library and some folks, you know, had never written an artist statement before. That's fine. Like we can do it together. And we sat down and we wrote it together. Um, somebody else didn't, uh, needed to put um, hanging wire on their canvas. That's fine. I can teach you that. Like, um, and vice versa, you know, if I had a question about, you know, Adobe Illustrator or where I could print something for cheap, like I could easily ask any one of the other artists because they also do their own stuff and they also hold their own very valuable experiences um, that they really push themselves to grow in, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I do want to talk about Fairside, an exhibition for which the first, the inaugural exhibition mm -hmm. for which is running through tomorrow afternoon at the Fairhaven Branch Library on Grant Avenue. If you haven't seen it already, get your ass to the library to see it. <laughs> it's, it's really good. It's really, really good. Also, it's a library. So library like, wonderful. Yes. Like go go to the library because it's a library, right? It is uh I don't know, like the I was gonna say like the pelvis of democracy, but like the <laughs> like the cradle, thank you, the cradle of democracy. I clearly didn't have enough coffee this morning, right? Um, but, but also like you, I think you kind of named something that I want to push on a little bit, which was that there are these institutional spaces in New Haven, but they're not specifically helpful. Like their whole point in theory, their whole mission, right. Is to like elevate artists or amplify artists or, or be, be in community with artists, which I think is a word that's bandied about a lot without a whole lot of meaning sometimes. But if they don't have a website, if they don't have a place online, right. you know, if they don't have an artist statement, like you're out of luck, buddy, you know? Right. And so what, you know, what was your experience with those? We don't need to name any institutions because no. if folks are listening, they know who the legacy <laughs> institutions are. Um, but, but I think at the same time, like, you know, what was your experience? And also, how can those spaces be more helpful to artists, especially artists of color? Because I think in the city, there is a real, um, there is a, a real problem with racial segregation, and also, also often socioeconomic segregation. And, and this feeling like that uh, you're entitled to be an artist if you have the wealth and the resources to do so, which we know is, is complete BS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to make a comparison quickly between now and then. Um, I'm 24 now. This was maybe six or seven years ago. Six or seven years ago, I don't think I could email the Arts Council or no, not even uh, a different institution and say, hey, I want to apply to this thing, but I don't know how to make a website like can you help me or do you know where I can who, who I can ask or like where I can how do I do this like I think back then I think the attitude was different in that you need to do this on your own and the expectation is that if you can't do this perhaps this isn't for you and 
like that was really gutting to feel at that time. Um, I think fast forward to now, um, I think I could email, you know, certain arts institutions and say, how do I make a website? Like, I think there are a lot more initiatives, um, like Skillshare. Oh my gosh, through the Arts Council, excuse me, where you can like just come into this not really knowing like XYZ, whatever it is you're trying to find. Um, I wouldn't say that transformational changes. I don't, I wouldn't say that that attitude has completely changed. I think that because of quite literally protests in our city about equity, about racism, about um, a lot of things, like I think that has made institutions unable to look away um, and to consider how they themselves need to change or have to change um, in order to be like taken seriously. Um, and I think that artists are like, I think artists have always known our value. Um, I think that right now in this moment, I think artists are becoming a bit more vocal about what our value actually means. Um, because I say this a lot, so I'm I'm not afraid to say this, like arts institutions only exist because artists are here, because artists are willing and able and walk through the, their doors to uh, participate in their opportunities um, to donate work for their fundraisers. Um, and I'm not knocking that because if an artist wants to donate, that's completely their decision. Um, uh, and, you know, to engage with them, like the people who are mentioned in their grant applications, um, uh, in their fundraisers, in their, you know, marketing are artists. Like their programming is run by artists. And I will go far as to say that the majority of folks working at these arts institutions are also artists. I have been one of them. Um, and I actually, I completely forgot your question. Can you say it again? That's okay. I, I was just asking you about um, institutions, but it's a good time to remind folks if you're just joining us here on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven, or if you've been with us for, um, I don't know, like 15 to 20 minutes. Thank you. This is Arts Respond with Lucy Gelman. My guest today is Ruby Gonzalez Hernandez, who is a multidisciplinary artist based in the city's Fairhaven neighborhood, but you probably know her work from all over the city and honestly, like all over the world. You are an artist who has received international recognition, which I just think is really, really cool, um, especially since you're under 25 years old. Um, and that's like, it, it's pretty amazing. And going back to one thing that you said, also a testament to the education at ECA um, as well. So um, so my question was about art arts institutions, but I also like, I've been... As you've been talking, I've of course been listening to every word, but I've also been looking at this beautiful print behind you. Hmm. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I really want to talk about your um, transition into very large scale work, because I think that often, um, print, I mean, whatever, artists should do whatever makes them comfortable. But I think that sometimes printmakers and, and especially women in printmaking are expected to do like, I don't know, like dainty woodcuts or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like don't break a nail. Right. And you have explained this process to me, but I'm probably going to get it wrong when I'm describing it, that it's like a multi-step process that also has like tech technological intervention yeah. and photo intervention. And it's it's just very, very cool. So I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about the sort of like the process to from from knowing that you enjoyed and were skilled at printmaking to doing this like really large scale just totally cool work that has I think like literal layers but then also conceptual layers to it I learned printmaking was a, a, a thing at ECA I learned under Karen Dow and it actually wasn't what I immediately gravitated towards. I'm primarily um, a photographer um, and I'm interested, I like mainly interested in darkroom photography, like traditional film. Um, and 
as I developed my practice, I realized that photography as a medium like I wanted to push it further further um it didn't feel like the end product for me um I think a lot of photographers share this and like experiment in different ways but the direction that I went to was at first like uh, collage and silk screening um which I did both at Makehaven, actually. Um, if you hear my cat in the background, I'm really sorry. He just woke up. Um, he's on. A, I'm trying to get him on a set schedule. And... We love cats. It's cool. <laughs> okay. We're pro um, cat. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. And um, so, yeah, I started experimenting with photography at um, Makehaven. Um, they have a press and they have a silk screen, a four-color silk screen station. Um, and after I learned the, the basics, you know, they basically teach you like safety etiquette of safety requirements. And then after that, you're free to use the use the equipment um, and, you know, do your thing. Um, I, I really enjoy working at Makehaven. I don't really think I use my studio like as much. But um, anyways, so I take a photograph. Um, and I destroy it using Photoshop or another software called vCarve um, or uh, a free version of Photoshop called GIMP. Um, and I reconstruct it um, to become like a series of lines. Um, and then I use those technologies to carve it using a CNC machine. And CNC stands for Computer Numerical Control um, Machine. Basically, you're telling a computer how deep and how wide to carve uh, your image on a piece of wood. It's it's turning your image into a set of instructions. And after you receive your finished carved wood, then it's the same traditional woodcut like practice, uh, roll a bunch of ink on it, print it on a piece of paper, and there you go. Um, I'm really interested in dissecting themes of like literal like uh, structures we exist under. It's my art practice comes alongside my own internal like process in either healing or something I'm trying to think about or process or, or understand better. Um, and yeah, it's been, I think I, I really love like manipulating these photographs that I've taken and I'm always, I, I think it's, I think the best way to describe it is that it's a constant exploration um, of how I could push it further or how I could make it, create it differently. Um, and I love that you've also become like the pink lady around town. That's a, like a somewhat new transition, like a couple years, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been pink for, I think almost two years now. Um, I didn't really think about like how I would stand out. I just developed this like healing with my relationship with pink and like the I I used to feel very pushed I'm sorry that's mushy in the background I used to feel very pushed to be like feminine I I grew up ultra 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 conservative and would have to wear a skirt every single day even in the winter time even when I didn't want to and like coming out of that and and like changing um I had to, I, I wanted to heal and I did. And now I really, really love pink and I go to Goodwill and I, my agenda is only pink stuff. Um, and it's been really fun. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to bring it into the present and also talk about Fairside and your inspiration to start this collective, which I would argue that you've been inspired for like at least a decade, maybe two decades since you were like, five years old right and um and and this idea of a community of practice that is intentional and also like allows people to do art because I think we're living under capitalism right and so often people's worth is tied up with their productivity and I think we especially see that in the art world um and not just the art world like writ large we see that in the art world in New Haven um yeah, I literally, I literally just want to be in the same space as artists in a safe environment. Um, no strings. Like, I 
I think it was six months into working and thinking about and writing about Fairside uh, that someone told me like, oh, like, yeah, this is super anti-capitalist. And I was like, is it? Is it? I just want to exist. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, you're definitely right. Um, fine. I accept it. I love it. Um, I, I literally just want to be in safe community with no expectations with other folks. Like, and that's been central, you know, I want to, I want artists to be the center, regardless of what we can or can't bring um, to the table. Um, I'm really interested in like, just not needing to buy in, put in something to be considered, to be accepted, like, yeah. And I want to ask about, uh, there's so many things. So I want to ask about the artists participating and, um, but also I want to ask about this idea of like safe and intentional community, because one of the conversations that we have in the arts sometimes, or that I find um, when I tell people, oh, I'm an arts reporter, they say, oh, that's fun. And your job must be dedicated to beauty and everyone must be so happy all the time and blah, blah, blah. And it's actually like, those things are true. And that does not mean that folks within the arts community cannot commit harm. And I think especially in the last like year to two years slash maybe the last 404 years in this country, we've seen um, sort of patterns of harm within the community, including within the arts community. And so, um, you know, when you talk about cultivating a safe space, artists I also want to ask about this shift that I've been seeing that I think is actually a really good thing that 10 maybe even five years ago sometimes people would come to me and say this person was really unkind to me or or like verbally abusive or physically abusive and, and there was harassment happening and or I would say that to someone and the response would kind of be like well tough like that that's just the world we live in like Toughen up, grow a thicker skin. You got this cookie. And I see that shifting. And I think that's a good thing. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about being part of that shift. Yes. I'm going to tell you an open secret. Um, arts workers, artists, when we are harmed, we may not talk about it online. We may not talk about it publicly where other people can hear, but we're telling our loved ones, we're telling our loved community to be careful, to uh, like, to, to talk about, and we talk about what happened to us and why that might've happened. And like, quite literally, like, this is what happened to me, like, watch out. Like I had a residency that um, didn't go so well. Um, and I told my community like and like I actually didn't even didn't didn't even need to go into details because folks already like could see it um, and like came to me and asked like, are you OK? Like, are they treating you fine? Like, are you do you feel safe? Like um, and like the same with like jobs that folks in the community that like have other arts friends um, like. Well, like if I'm considering a job someplace or one of my friends are considering a job at an arts institution, they will go and they will ask their friends who have or do work there. And they will say, I'm considering this job. Do they treat you well? Like, do you feel like appreciated? Like we do our own community checks behind closed doors. This has always, always been a thing. Um, and I think like for folks, that are like new to the city like they don't have the same like sense of like or ability actually accessibility to like do those community checks and keep themselves safe because unfortunately like we have to do that i have to ask like my neighbor like if i intend to connect with an institution like are they cool like are they not cool you know and like it's very unfortunate but I don't take chances anymore. And I think that lots of other artists don't either, or at least like assess the risks or the history or the lack of reckoning that an institution has or, or has not done, you know? Um, so I 
again, I don't remember your question. <laughs> oh, that that answered that a hundred percent answered the question, which you know, which is like I like I'm heartened by this shift. I think some people sort of roll their eyes and say, Well, it was tough for me. So it, you know, and yeah, and my mom will say this, like, well, I dealt with this in the 1980s, so you're just gonna have and like it's mommy, harsh, no. harsh no. like yeah. right passage that shouldn't exist in the in in the, in the yeah. <laughs> like I have had friends and bosses and acquaintances who say that too. Um, but to me it tells me like, oh, like just because you went through it doesn't mean like it means I have to too. Like you I think you're somebody that, you know, like wants to see change too, but maybe right. it's just, like that harm is, is goes really deep, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think also some folks and, you know, young folks as well as older folks are also healing. And sometimes when you're on your own healing journey, like hurt people, hurt people. Right. And so I think that's part of it. So tell me a little bit about the programs that you've already been able to implement within Fairside, including parallel play. I love that it's called parallel play because I think it so speaks like just very succinctly to the mission. Thank you. Um, Parallel Play is, I'm trying to make it a monthly program where it's in the style of like an open study hall. Anyone can come by with anything art-wise that you're working on, uh, painting or editing your photos on your computer or drawing um, or sculpting. Um, I, I want to be as open as possible to any medium for folks. You come in to, you know, whatever location we're hosting at. We've been bouncing around um, and you're just there and other people show up too. And you can meet new artists. You can see friends who also want to come with. Um, and I put music on. I put some food on the table, some snacks. I've been, you know, decking out with this little chocolate fountain um, to make it to up the bouginess, up the ex extravagance, you know. Um, and we just have a good time for like three hours. Um, and the response, when I launched this project, it was at Maycaven, and I had no idea if a single person would show up. I kept like, kind of resisting and then one day I was like you know what make haven has an opening in three days let's just see what happens let's just go like if I don't push myself I'm not going to do this so I put, a, I put a flyer up and I said come by three days from now like don't no registration required just just come and like 20 people showed up that night and I was like okay people actually want this like I want this too like good like let's keep going um and, you know, I've been able to work out the kinks and stuff. And um, it's it's been it's been really wonderful. Like I've met a lot of folks that I didn't know lived in the city and um, I'm sure I'll meet more. Um, and folks have been really like responsive to it. And it like is exactly where I want to be. And there's also a focus on artists in Fairhaven. So we talked a little bit about the disconnect that you experienced as a young artist. I mean, you're still a young artist, but um, that that you have experienced. And I think that's still true a lot of the time. Like I often feel like someone was just telling me about this public art grant and the like places that they could see um, like asphalt mural art around the city. Oh, and like Grand Avenue never came up and Ferry Street never came up and Quinnipiac Avenue never came up and Middletown Avenue, which is complicated because not that many people live there and there are lots of auto body shops, but that's another show. Um, you know, they it, it was like not even part of the conversation. And so as you're building this community with artists, is that also part of your discussion with them? Like what, you know, what does it mean to harness your collective power and also to root your work in community. Like, I think it's very meaningful, Ruby, that your first show is at a library and not at a, you know, a legacy no. institution that has a history of white supremacy. And, and there are very many in New Haven. Um, and so not only is a library like maybe one, you know, folks might think of it as an unconventional space, but it it is in some ways the most democratic of spaces because you get very young viewers and very old viewers and everyone in between. Yeah. it. When I was growing up in Fairhaven, um, 
I lived, or I still live about three blocks, three or four blocks away from Erector Square. Um, I remember passing by and always wondering like, what is in there? Who, who's in there? What's going on? Um, and fast forward till I was working at, till I attended the SAP program at ArtSpace that I knew that ArtSpace had a yearly open studios right then and there dedicating Erector Square to their own weekend. And like, it wasn't until a couple years later that I even attended. Um, and I, I think about that disconnection and I think about how much like Fairhaven in particular, the people that live there, like have missed out on because of because of this lack of connection, because of not knowing that folks, you know, need greater need need certain things to be more accessible, like having Spanish translations um, or marketing that is specifically aimed to talk to the neighborhood in which Erector Square is in. Um, and I think about now, um, and I, 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 I really cannot have this to be the norm anymore. Um, and I think I'm one of, of actually a handful, a couple of folks who like actively keep actively are like, like with Fairhaven, like actively addressing this, actively working on things related to this, and um, um. I think there's a larger understanding in, in the same of how the tide is turning with artists in how in, in, in recognizing what's really important um, or, or what it is that wants that what it is that we want to be the priority. Um, my mom um, has never understood one of my exhibitions until I had a, I had an exhibition where there was some money but towards translating everybody's artist statement, the curatorial text, the wall labels with the literal like materials of what the work was made out of and the name. Um, and that was the first time that she really could see what I was even saying, what I was even doing. And like, I want to cry right now. Like she, it, it meant so much to her. And I, I walked away from that exhibition thinking like Spanish translation is the absolute like priority. Like, like this is something that I need to have in every single exhibition that I ever will produce um, or will consider. Um, sorry, that is my computer. Um, but um, yeah, I, when, when I, when I think about like centering Fairhaven, I think about what that actually will require. Um, and yeah, I could go on, but like, that's kind of what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, if people haven't gotten there yet, it's also a bar that I think uh, is fairly low, like to, to say, I want to be able to provide translation services. Um, and and like that New Haven should be thinking about. I remember when I worked in a in museums, which I ran away from like 10 years ago. And at one point there was an exhibition called Vida y Drama de Mexico. And it was dedicated to the work of the um the Taller de Grafico Popular, which worked in like the 20th century. Anyway, just this incredible printmaking collective in, in Mexico City. And um all of a sudden, and, and it was a good thing in that, like, everyone was like, oh, my God, we have to provide translation services. And I was like, well, yes, you do. But not just when you have exhibitions uh, about Mexico. Like, in fact, you should provide that on everything, especially in a city that is plurality Latino. And so thinking about that as well. Um, I, I do want to ask, so I ask artists this at the end of every episode. And I just want to say if, if folks are just tuning in, uh, this is WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. 
Uh, Arts Respond is a collaboration between WNHH and the Arts Council of Greater New Haven. I'm your host, Lucy Gelman, and I'm here with, <clears throat> excuse me, multidisciplinary artist Ruby Gonzalez Hernandez talking about really like your career and also your most recent initiative, which is called Fairside. Um, if you happen to be listening to this before, I would say 5 p.m. on May 20th, which is a Saturday, uh, Ruby has curated an incredible exhibition of artists at the Fairhaven Branch Library, which is on Grand Avenue. We're having a closing reception tomorrow at one? Three. At, one? at three. Okay. I was only two hours off. <laughs> um, but you can go to the Fairhaven Library before 3 p.m. You can go today. You could go tomorrow. You could go on both days if you wanted to. Um, it's a it's a great place. I just, I love libraries. And so it's, um, you know, if, if folks are not taking advantage of our five beautiful branch libraries in New Haven, they should be. But the question I want to ask you, Ruby, is like, you are doing a lot for other folks in the community. And I think also making sure that folks feel taken care of, especially artists who maybe have, um, you know, historically marginalized identities who have not always felt taken care of, especially by institutions. And so what are you doing to take care of yourself? I'm reading and I'm uh, relaxing with my cat, Moshi. Um, I like to visit the water. Um, and right now I really like to journal and reflect. I'm learning how to better ground myself. Um, and that has been a journey in itself. Um, can I tell you what I'm reading? Okay. Yes, I please. I'm rereading one of my favorite books. It's called Acts of Faith. I have it right here. Acts of Faith by Ibu Patel. Um, we do not have the same politics, but I really enjoy, um, we have similar stories in growing up in um, radical faiths. Um, and he kind of talks about how easily it could, he could have uh, become someone who like harmed his community. Um, and, it it informed me a lot of the ways in which I grew up um, and how we need to support young people um, and how like faith can be very helpful to that in a in a healthy way, in a productive way. And um yeah, and then um Radicals in the Barrio by Barrio by Justin Atkers Chacon. And it's a really hard read, but um it's about um it's literally informing me of why my family immigrated to this country. Um, and it's because of the US. Um, and then Sapotec Women by Lynn Steven. Um, she's an anthropologist that traveled to where my family is indigenous to. And everything I'm reading is like, yeah, I knew that already. Like, oh, like, cool, you know? <laughs> um, and yeah, that's how I try to wind down right now. I love that. Um, it sounds <laughs> like- a very sorry. Can I ask you the same question? Oh, what am I reading? Um, I am reading Minor Feelings, which is by Kathy Parkong, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's very good. Um, it's about spoiler: the answer and the problem is white supremacy. Um, it it is about uh, the history of white supremacy in this country and how it has worked to divide, especially Black Americans and Asian Americans. Um, and pit people against each other in an extremely violent way. So, um, so it's it is a an emotionally hard read, especially because she is very vulnerable in parts of the book. But it is, it's a a really good book as well. Um, mm. I finished something that was fiction, and then I forgot what it was. Okay. But I I like fiction. I I recommend fiction to everyone. Um, yeah. Can I share one more thing? Please, always. On Saturday, before the closing reception, there will be a mural drawing workshop with artist Victoria Martinez. Um, she is from Chicago. She went to school in New Haven at Yale, and she's back now and really, really wants to involve the Fairhaven community in a Fairhaven mural that's going to go behind Seatown. Um, it has a new name now. What's it called? Key Foods. Key Foods. It's not as good as Seatown, but that's okay. Yeah. But there's, there is another Seatown going in behind me. Oh, so, yeah. 
That's true. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So Saturday, 11 to two, Victoria will be at the Fraven library working on this mural and she wants input and direction and help from Fairhaveners. Um, so that's happening. Awesome. Awesome. Ruby Gonzalez Hernandez, thank you so much for taking this time with us on this. I, I was going to say Sunday, Friday afternoon. The sun's still out. There's some really cloud action going on. I don't know, but I appreciate you so much. Um, if folks want to find out about Fairside, how do they do that? Instagram is like the fastest right now. It's our handle is at fair underscore side. And then our website, um, sign up for our email list, uh, www.fair-side.com. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much and have a, a beautiful weekend. And if you've been here with us on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven, have a beautiful weekend. As always, a shout out to Harry Droz, who is the man behind the controls. He makes it happen. Harry, uh, thank you and have a great weekend too. Bye y'all.